Good morning. Welcome. Natalie, thank you for reading the scripture for today. And I'm excited uh, to, to come to you with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. It's a very important message for us today. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Uh, so welcome to our teaching series, Head to Heart. Uh, it was St. Patrick or Magnus Succotus Patricius. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist it. The real St. Patrick who composed a record of his life titled Confessions. Among his writing comes this very clear statement of his conversion, which took place at age 16. He writes, I am certain of this one thing. I was a dumb stone lying squashed in the mud. The mighty and merciful God came to me and he dug me out and he set me on top of a wall. Therefore, I praise him and ought to render to him all that he has done for me, all of his wonderful benefits that are for me both now and in all of eternity. Well, the truth of God's love displayed in Christ becomes a truth that changes one's life for all eternity. And our resolve should be like that of St. Patrick. And, and we should render to Christ our whole life because of his wonderful benefits to us. You know, but sadly, many reject the truth of Christ. I know it may be likely that you have not. But many do. And perhaps you are at times tempted to either reject some truth or ignore or become apathetic to the truth of Christ in your life. And, and as you hear from God's word, a description of those who reject his wondrous truth, may you become stirred today to realize how dangerous it becomes to ignore or even to become indifferent to the truth of Jesus. And how important it becomes to embrace his truth in sincere love, meaning to embrace not just with your head, but with your heart. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. This statement from the scriptures offers a real life application of the journey the truth must make from our head to our heart. This becomes signified by the phrase, love of the truth. We learn this from the negative appraisal given of those who were deceived. They were deceived because they did not love the truth. Truth did not move from head to heart. So there are several perspectives we gather from this verse and the surrounding context that will encourage you toward a genuine love of the truth of Jesus and thus moving truth from head to heart. So we begin with a perspective, a perspective of a real human context, the reality of a real human context. For looking inside this verse, we discover that there were real people who needed to hear this truth, real people from a context not too dissimilar to ours, the church. This church was the early church. Uh, this letter dated sometime around 50 to 51 AD, but nonetheless, their context very similar to ours. So from within, the, within this history, we learn that the message of Jesus Christ originally was warmly received in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, thus the name of the letter we're reading, Thessalonians. And not unlike other places where the gospel was received, uh, there was a certain amount of persecution that followed. Now, examples of this persecution in this real uh, human context comes from Paul's own correspondence to the church recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, where we read Paul saying, In fact, we were with you and we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And as it turned out, 
this way you know well. And so there's another example of the reality of the persecution that faced this community of faith. This comes from the historical background of the church that we actually read about in Acts chapter 17, verse 5. That verse tells us that there were Jews who were jealous, and so they rounded up bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot, and came against Paul and Silas, and they rushed into Jason's house and and apprehended the apostles. All of this took place in Thessalonica. So because of the resistance that we learn, this resistance came both from the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Christians in Thessalonica were desperately in need of a reassurance of the truth of the gospel of their faith because of all this persecution. And because of, of their, their persecution, many had come to believe that they would be saved from the physical death for the return of Christ. They would be saved from, from their life ending here because Christ would return. And this was a, a misunderstanding. So uh, Paul had spoken in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the, the letter that preceded this letter, perhaps as briefly as, as months. And, and in that letter, Paul asked a question, what will be our joy and crown when Christ returns? And you find that in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. And Paul had witnessed this church being transformed from a pagan posture of idol worship to living passionately for Jesus. And, and he rejoiced. Uh, that, that this church represented a significant reason he could stand before Jesus on the day that Christ returned to know that his calling was fulfilled. But this reference to Christ's return spoken in near correlation with the Thessalonian church may have caused many to expect that, hey, Christ is coming back soon. Paul just said he'll be coming back soon. So Paul had to uh, speak into the life of the Christians at Thessalonica to set the record straight. And in so doing, he reminded them that, yes, there is a coming reality that you desperately need to understand. So we, we move from the perspective of this real human context uh, from a people who, like us, uh, receive the gospel of Jesus but needed reinsurance about the future and about coming days. And so we move from the reality of this human context to the next reality, a, a coming reality. From the, from the real human context to a, a coming reality is where Paul moves in, in this letter, in this verse. So uh, verse 10 points back to verses 3 through 9. And describes this coming reality. The reality, follow this closely, of a deception that will come in the last days. Now, in some ways, this deception has already begun. We, we can see evidence of that around us at this moment. Paul taught of this deception to better prepare the followers of Christ to direct them away from the evil influence into a more intense love for the truth of Christ. The more you deeply embrace the truth, not from a level of simple knowledge or mental attainment, but truly knowing the truth, the more one is prepared to stand firm against a coming wave of evil influence. Paul pointed toward a coming reality. So notice a pattern of evil influence that necessitates how we move from head knowledge to a true love for the truth of Jesus Christ. Here's the pattern of this uh, of this evil influence that warrants how desperately we need uh, to have the truth of Christ move from head knowledge to heart. Uh, first, we're going to move back to verse 3. Notice that there will be a time of rebellion. Uh, Paul points his readers to a coming reality and reminds them 
in verse three, we we hear these words. Uh, Paul Paul writes, "Don't be fooled by what they say, for uh, the day of the Lord uh, is coming. He will return, but His coming will not will not be until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings." Destruction. This verse heralds the announcement of a rebellion, a period of sinful upsurge taken from the Greek term for rebellion, apostasis. And, and this gives entrance uh, to the man of lawless, lawlessness or the man of sin. So this brings us to a, a, a second appraisal of this time of evil influence, a second appraisal of this coming reality. At first, there is a, an evil rebellion, but second, there will be evil personified in human influence and in human form. Verse 4 speaks of this. This man of lawlessness or this man of sin, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call good and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Now that sounds like an overwhelming expression of evil influence. While we cannot know at this moment the human identity of this man of sin, he most certainly fits the description of, of the Antichrist. Uh, but, but most scholarship indicates that he fits the identity of the, of the many Antichrists uh, listed in such places as 1 John. But, but nonetheless, this man of lawlessness, he will come and he will oppose God in every way. So we have a, a season of, of rebellion and then we have a man of lawlessness present. Again, these depict this coming reality. Paul teaches the Thessalonians so that they would know the necessity of truth moving from head to heart. But there's a third reality of, of this, of this coming reality, a third fact. According to verse five, uh, this rebellion represents a former teaching of Paul. In, in verse 5, Paul wrote, don't you remember that I told you about all of this when I was with you? So the church is, is not hearing something new. They understand that there is a day coming uh, prior to the return of Christ where the men of lawlessness will, will have significant influence. But oh, Paul did not hesitate because in verses 6 through 9, he gives a, a fourth fact of this coming reality. Uh, God's sovereignty becomes greater than any influence that is evil because God's sovereignty is the greater reality. And this is described in verses six through nine. And you know what is holding him back for he can be revealed only when his time comes for this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who's holding him back steps out of the way. Look at verse 8. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him, will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and counterfeit miracles. So Paul does not exhibit interest in and a finely developed timetable of eschatology or, or events that are coming so that his readership can anticipate the details of the final days. No, instead, Paul writes to friends and his interest is reminding them that whatever unfolds, God is over all and is working his purposes out to the very end. And the Lord will, by the power of his breath, meaning just by the spoken word, will render this man of lawlessness powerless. So however illustrious evil may become in that day or even now, regardless of how pervasive and invasive evil seems, God will destroy all powers of this lawless one for this man of sin is, is very much under the reign of our exalted Lord and the Holy Spirit. There's one final fact of this 
coming reality Paul Paul describes. Uh, this builds up to the climax of this summary and of the coming reality. There will be many deceived. This takes us back to verse 10. Verse 10 opens with the sad result of this coming reality and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing are the ones uh, who are being deceived. So now we, from verse 3 forward, understand the context of verse 10. Focus on this, on this description, perishing. The tense of this verb sets the tone for the entire message found here, emphasizing that the, the same wickedness that will deceive in days to come deceives and destroys at this very moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, reminds us that there are those being saved, and for that we rejoice. But that same verse also reminds us there are those perishing. There are those that will perish, and that is even happening now. In fact, in the words of that great grammarian, A.T. Robertson, he states of verse 10, the dreadful process goes on, meaning the perishing of man, even as it is happening now. So if those who will perish because of deception, reflect a deception taking place today, what are we to do at this moment? A real human context of committed followers of Jesus are facing a coming reality of unimaginable evil and deception. So we turn to a needed present application. And this is the real purpose of verse 10. This is where God led Paul to make this point. Yes, there is, there is evil. Evil is coming. Evil is present. There is a real human context in which we're involved. There's a coming reality where just before Christ returns, we'll see the, the rise of evil. That evil is even present in certain ways right now. What we need is, is, a, neat, is a present application in view of all of this. Uh, so in verse 10, the description of the evil one, the man of lawlessness, shifts to those who follow him. Having stated that those who follow him will perish, the emphasis, this is very important, highlights the cause of why they perish. They did not love the truth. The truth did not move from head to heart. They, they were wrong and their attitude toward the truth. So although this passage speaks forward concerning what is to come, we're, we're given a cause of why people will be deceived into following this man of lawlessness. They rejected the truth. If someone perishes because he or she refuses to love the truth so that they can be saved, then we really need to know what this indicates when we read they refuse to love the truth. The idea of truth does not merely express a moral quality. Uh, in the Greek language, the term truth represents, uh, I'll, I'll be a bit um, grammatical here, the, the word truth represents what the grammarian calls an objective genitive, indicating that the term expresses truth in Christ, truth that actually abides and exists in Christ, meaning the gospel truth. The term truth is intimately related to Jesus, this is so incredibly important. The truth referenced here is intimately related to Christ. Jesus said uh, in John fourteen six, I am 
the truth. And in, in Ephesians, the apostle reminds us that, that, that since you've heard the truth of Jesus and learned of all the truth that comes from him, we understand that Jesus is the truth and all truth comes from him. So the truth here represents Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, his good news of saving us from brokenness and from our sin. In particular, this represents salvation truth. And to love the truth indicates one's heart open to God's salvation in Christ, meaning a genuine receiving of who Christ is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. This does not mean knowing about Christ because of a good lesson taught to us when we were a child. This is having a personal realization that, that we need him and we are desperate to place our faith in him. This represents the gospel. And when the gospel is proclaimed in full, the benefits of the gospel are demonstrated objectively heaven and a resurrected body and subjectively meaning within us love, hope, forgiveness and sanctification. Because of this, Paul speaks of a love for the truth and understanding for what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. And many will reject this truth in the last days and many reject this truth now. Make certain that you do not miss the truth of Jesus. Some have said that a very large percentage of people actively engaged in the church today do not have a relationship with Jesus. Some have quoted as much as 80 or 90 percent. For you, don't miss the truth of Jesus. From this present application, uh, the truth of Christ moving from head to heart, we have two very necessary resolves. First, the truth of Jesus demands a response of the heart. Now, don't follow your heart. Matthew 15, 19 reminds us, from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, sexual immorality, theft, false testimonies. Well, the prophet Jeremiah was ever right. The heart is sick. So do not follow your heart, but instead allow the truth to direct your heart to follow Jesus. The truth of Jesus demands a response from the heart. Allow the truth of Christ, to direct your heart, to follow Christ. There were many in days to come, as there are many now who, who know of Christ, but truly have never received him and placed their faith in him. The truth has not moved from head to heart. They will likely be deceived by the evil one. And so we must realize that we need to allow the truth of Jesus to direct our hearts to him. Hebrews 7 verse 25 may help. This verse proclaims, therefore he is able meaning Jesus, to save completely those who come to God through him because he is always living to intercede for them. Have you been following Jesus with your mind or have you surrendered your whole life to him? Hebrews 7.25 reminds us to draw near to him who is able to save to the other uttermost. To draw near uh, from the language can indicate the proper approach. Have you come to God, not out of religious heritage or of being a good church member, but have you come to him with faith in Jesus, your Savior and your Redeemer? This is the right approach. This is truly drawing near. Such a realization would agree that you came to God through Christ as a sinner, despised and in need of grace. The truth of Jesus, Jesus should do more than just make us religious. 
you, you should not become stuck at your religious duties assuming that good people go to heaven. You must draw near to God because of who Jesus is, meaning that you recognize your sin and, and your complete uh, dependence upon His forgiveness. The reason there will be those who perish is because they do not love the truth. They do not love the truth of Christ for they never came to God. They never drew near to God by way of Jesus. So the truth of Jesus demands a response from the heart, not just a response of, of good behavior, but a response from our whole being, the place of our will and, 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 and feeling, the, the place of our, of our thoughts, uh, the, the center of who we are, our soul. We must come with all of ourselves to Jesus. So, uh, yes, uh, the truth of Jesus demands a response of the heart. But a second resolve in this present application a heart for Jesus is always a heart for the gospel. And the gospel meaning the good news of Jesus and his redemption uh, in our lives from our brokenness when we trust him. A heart for Jesus is a heart for the gospel. From within the phrase, love for the truth, comes the meaning of receiving what is offered openly and genuinely. I turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we hear Paul uh, writing this to the same to the same church and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God Paul is writing uh, a testimonial uh, to the church in Thessalonica when you receive the word of God he's writing this in second person he, he's observed this when you received the word of God which you heard from us meaning from the apostles you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believes. Today, we've witnessed that there's a human, a human context for this verse. And, and there is a, there's a coming reality that's, that's even present in some ways now, this evil influence. And oh, how desperately we need this present application of the truth of Jesus. It demands a response from our heart. And, and our heart for Jesus will be a heart for the gospel, meaning that when we see the truth of God, we do not see mere information or facts to be, to be cataloged. Uh, we do not see something to be memorized or, or to be understood with a, with a rote a memorization or approach. We, we see the truth that must be applied to our lives so that, so that we can understand and live uh, for who Christ is. Oh, please don't be called at a, at a level of, of simple religious function. Make certain that you've not missed the truth of Christ. And, and if you know that you, you, your faith is in Jesus, then, then realize the, the importance of the gospel in your life even now. Let me share this with you. Uh, the gospel uh, in our lives moves us deeply and even more deeply into the gospel. Because all of the power we need in order to change and mature comes through the gospel. The gospel does not simply ignite the Christian life. It is the fuel that keeps Christians going and growing every day. Real change cannot come apart from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel should be a, a a, a real part of your heart's yearning to, 
to seek God's truth more and more because the gospel represents Christ, the word, the living word who died on the cross to to change us and redeem us. And the entire truth of God's word that we hold in our hands has one grand summary. And the summary is Jesus Christ. Seek him, love him, allow all that you understand of God and of living for him to move from head to heart. And that movement is only possible when we truly embrace the truth of Jesus and we truly allow his gospel to direct our steps and our heart to him. And pastor and author Matt Chandler, he commented on what he termed the litmus test of the gospel. Chandler writes, The litmus test of whether or not you understand the gospel is what you do when you fail. Do you run from God and go try to clean yourself up a bit before you come back into the throne room? Or do you approach his throne of grace with confidence? If you do not approach the throne of grace with confidence, you don't understand the gospel. You are most offensive to God when you come to him with all of your efforts and when you're still trying to earn what is freely given. Uh, We should say with St. Patrick, God through Christ has dug me out of the mud. And so I will praise him. Today, we've taken a journey from this one verse into the life of first century Christians. And we've even looked forward to some coming harsh realities of, of the man of lawlessness and of the evil influence that rages around us today, but we've come to this present application. How has the truth changed us? Not just information that becomes biblically uh, appraised, but but I mean the truth of Christ, which is the message of the entire beautiful, inerrant story of God's word. How has the truth of Jesus changed you? Please don't miss the truth of Christ. Perhaps you're uh, seated before this message today and and maybe you realize that you've never placed your faith in Jesus. You've only attempted to do good things. Today the message becomes an invitation for you to place your faith in Christ, to respond to the gospel truth, what he did on the cross and how he died and, and rose again so that your sins could be forgiven. Oh, I pray that, that as the scripture teaches you will be able to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead so that you can be saved, saved from your sin. Don't depend upon any religious goodness. Place your trust in Jesus. And perhaps today you're you're saying, I, I, my faith is in Christ, but I, I, I depend too much on what I'm understanding with my mind. And oh, I need to return back to the purity of, of my heart daily surrendering to the Christ that has saved me. Oh, I pray that you will allow the truth of Jesus to move from head to heart so that daily the truth of Christ, the gospel message, is not only a a representation of the fact that you've been saved, but that the gospel becomes your energy and your life and your word that you live out before others. Hey, thanks for joining us for this third part in our Head to Heart series. I'd love to pray with you. And after I pray, there'll be a a website location here on the screen that you can contact if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to know more about what it means to to uh, to move away from simply a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, please reach out to us. We would love to have an opportunity to, to have conversation with you. Love you a lot. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for this simple message that reminds us of, 
of how necessary it becomes to allow the gospel truth to move from head to heart so that we're not deceived. Father, thank you that if we place our faith in you, we, we are saved from our sins. So, Father, help us to, to know that that's salvation, not religious good works. So, Father, may, may our, faith, uh, our faith be in your Son, Jesus, as we trust you and live for you because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Oh, Father, give us a love, a heart love for the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Hey, reach out to this website location now. We'd love to hear from you. Love you a lot. I'll see you next week for part four, our conclusion to the Head Heart series. I'll be teaching to you from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 on how salvation facts move us from head to heart. You do not want to miss this message. It may be one of the most important messages I'll ever preach. So I hope you'll join us next week. Love you a lot. God bless.